0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Boutosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You know, I come up here sensitive to what God wants to do and what God wants to say, period. I'm not up here to just give you a little lecture and a little speech and give you my three points and three sub points and call it a day and send you on to the restaurant, Amen. I'm here to give you the word of God. I'm here to feed you what God is saying in this hour, in this day and age. And as the day grows darker and as we see things transpiring that are transpiring, we have more and more of a responsibility to be led by the spirit of God. I believe the days are growing increasingly more and more difficult to walk by faith and be led by the spirit. I'll say that again. I believe the days are growing more and more difficult, increasingly difficult to walk by faith and be led by the Spirit. But those two things will always be requirements for every believer. Those two things will always be a requirement of every believer that you walk by faith and that you're led by the Spirit. You walk by faith and you're led by the Spirit. It's not gonna get easier to do those things. What's that mean? I gotta be more intentional to live by faith, walk by faith. I've got to be more intentional to be in tune to the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that there are voices that are growing, but yet we need to be decreasing the amount of voices that we make ourselves available to. The number of voices are increasing. In fact, uh, the Bible says that in the last days, we will heap up for ourselves teachers. There will be an overwhelming abundance of teachers, an overwhelming abundance of people saying this and people saying that. But if it's not in line with the spirit of God, it's worthless, it's meaningless. It's just words, just words. So I'm not up here just to give you words. I'm up here today to give you the word, the only word that can save your soul, the only word that will bring you deliverance, the only word that will bring the freedom you're looking for, the only word. The Bible says it's the truth that will make you free. There is an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. There is a real truth, and it's not up for debate. It's not on trial, and it's not uh, up for question. You believe it or you don't believe it. You live it or you don't live it. And that's what determines if it produces the Freedom that we're looking for. It's the truth that sets us free. And so we we want to bring truth. We want to bring truth. Romans chapter five and verse 17. Romans chapter five and verse 17. In the New King James, it reads this way. If by one man's offense, death reigned. Everyone say reigned. If death reigned by one man's offense through the one, Much more, everyone say much more, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign, everyone say reign, will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. If by one man's offense, who was that? That was Adam. By his offense, by Adam and Eve's sin and offense against God's word, God said, do not eat of the fruit of this tree in the middle of the garden, if you eat it, you will surely die. And they did what? They disobeyed, they sinned, they committed an offense against the word of God, and death, by that one offense, reigned in this earth. Death took over. Death became in charge. Everything that happened in this world was dictated by a dictator called death. Death meaning separation. Death meaning fruitlessness instead of fruitfulness. Death meaning uh, 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 an ineffectiveness showed up in the earth. And God created this earth with life, not death. God created this world that we live in with life. God created Adam and Eve as life givers. And they were connected to the life source, God himself. But through sin separation showed up, and when you separate something from a life source, death becomes inevitable. Death is your only option. Death is your only solution. Death is your only answer. And so up until the time that Jesus showed up, death reigned. Death was in control. Death was in charge. There was nothing man could do about it. But he goes on to say, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now what is righteousness? It's not a word that we hear a lot in church anymore. Righteousness means to be in right standing with the governing authority. To be in right standing with the governing authority. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer in right standing. They were not in a right Position. They were not seen as righteous. They were not righteous to their God any longer. Unrighteousness crept in. A lack of righteousness, a dismissal of righteousness showed up. And man began to live unrighteous. To one point in Genesis chapter 6, God said, Man is so unrighteous. Man is living so far from my plan and from my will and from my purpose that. I have to remove my spirit from them a further removal of God from the system of this world and from mankind on this planet, living separated from God. And God's spirit would come and reside on priests, kings, and prophets. That was the only hope. In fact, for man to even get atonement for his sin, had to send in a high priest, who had to be clean, who had to be righteous, who had to be free from sin. And if he went into that temple, if he went into that holy of holies with any sin, he would drop dead right there on the spot. You tell me God doesn't have a value for righteousness. God has a value for righteousness. God loves righteousness. God loves holiness. I know we don't talk about it a whole lot and I know our churches haven't brought it up in a while, but God disdains unrighteousness. God is opposed, opposed to the unholy. And it says right here that he gave you a gift of righteousness. Man, I want that gift. I I don't know about you, I want that gift. I want the gift that God has given me that makes me righteous in his sight, makes me holy in his his sight, that makes me uh, in right standing in a right position with him, Now, this is not just talking about the position that God is in. We know God is holy. We know God is righteous. We know God reigns, right? God is a king. Y'all understand that? We've got that f- fundamental foundation down. God is a king. God is a ruler. God rules and reigns from heaven over a kingdom. Can't be a king if you don't have a kingdom, right? A kingdom... Literally means a king's domain. It's what a kingdom is. You can't be a king. You can't be in charge if you don't have authority and if you don't have territory. You got to have authority and you got to have territory. How are you going to rule if you don't have authority? And how are you going to rule if you don't have anywhere to exercise that authority? You got to have territory. I'm in charge of what? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't work you got to have some territory. you got to have something that you rule over. It's called a kingdom, a king's domain. That is the territory over which a king rules. But this verse isn't just talking about God ruling. It says, death reigned by man's offense. Much more those, those, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Who's reigning? You are. We are. The church is reigning. The church is ruling. The church is in charge. The church is now calling the shots. The church is in control. I know that we've we've, we've bought into a lot of lies. I've told you that. We say things and believe things that, that God never said, never put in his Bible, and one of those being God is in control. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Yeah, we've all said it at some point. Oh, God is in control. Usually we, we say God is in control as a dismissal of our responsibility in the earth. To not have to do anything. To not have to say anything. To not have to enact the authority and the responsibility of righteousness. You are righteousness. You are in right standing. You have received a gift of righteousness. Therefore, that places you in a position of reigning. Reigning, and we're not waiting to reign. We're not waiting to reign. We're not sitting around. Let me ask you something. If you go to heaven, see, when, when, when a king has a kingdom, and another king shows up in that kingdom, he does not have authority in that kingdom. Every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a king. I can't come to your kingdom and operate my authority in your kingdom. That's not my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. You are over that territory. You're over that home. You're over that business. You're over those children. I can't come in and exercise my authority over your territory, over your kingdom. So if you're waiting to go to heaven, well, guess who reigns in heaven? God. The Bible is very clear that that God is the king over heaven. So when I die and go to heaven, I'm not in charge anymore. He is. He's placed me in charge here. He's called me to rule and to reign here. You know why I'm getting so many blank faces right now is because we have watered down the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to merely a cross and a tomb. Some of us don't even get to the tomb. We just stay at the cross and we stop there. For the last 20 years, the church has watered down the message of the kingdom of God. So much so that I'm up here trying to tear walls down, religious mindsets down in your brain just to tell you that you rule and that you reign and you have authority and God's placed you here for more than just sitting around waiting for him to come back. We have messed up the last 20 years. We've introduced stuff into the church over the last 20 years that had no business being in the church of the living God. And now verses like this don't make any sense to most Christians. They can't grasp the concept that we rule when we reign. And they're waiting around for God to do something. I don't know how many times this week I've read or seen or, or seen a tweet or seen a comment that said, we need a move of God. You know what a move of God is? You. You are a move of God. I'm not waiting around for stuff anymore. We're making stuff happen down here. We need a church that's going to speak the word, declare the word, believe the word, act the word, live the word, produce the word. And we have produced some of the weakest Christians this world has ever seen. And we need the strongest Christians we've ever seen right now. But we, we, we messed up. We made it about coffee and donuts and lights. And we shortened our messages to less than 50 minutes because people can't tolerate and people can't stay attentive for longer than 50 minutes. And we shortened our worship services and we only sing songs that are popular on the radio and we don't even, we, we don't even read the words that we're singing. We, we, just, we just sing whatever. And we made it about comfort and convenience. If you don't like this service, we got a contemporary service. You don't like the contemporary service, we got a traditional service. You don't like the traditional service, we got the rock star service. You don't like the rock star service, we got the jazz service. You don't like the jazz we, We've messed up. And then we remove stuff that we didn't think people could handle, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and healing. We remove stuff that belongs in the church. If it doesn't happen in the church, where's it happening? And then we look for things like small groups and life groups because we don't want to be accountable to a pastor. So get me uh, 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 in a a room with 12 other people that are messed up just like me. They can't get me out of my mess. And I don't want to be shepherded. Where's the small groups? Come to church. Get a pastor. Get someone that's going to hold you accountable to the word of God. Not just be comfortable and convenient. We drank the Kool-Aid. And now 2020 shows up and we don't have the Christians in the earth that this world needs. So excuse me if I, if I skip past the coffee and the donuts. Excuse me if we go 10 minutes past 12 o'clock today. Excuse me if we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's the only way that you're gonna be empowered for the life that's ahead of us. Excuse me if I believe in divine healing and I'm not gonna yield to some gross little virus that is just going around running rampant in the earth. Excuse me, if we skip back past the watered down mess and we get to the real thing, you rule and you reign and you have authority in this life. Start using it. We're going to talk about being seated with Christ. Look, we tried it for 20 years, it didn't work. Let's get back to what works. Y'all spent 20 years removing stuff out of the church that had no business being removed. Let's bring it back into the church. Let's start believing again. Let's start preaching it again. Let's start not being worried about how long the service is going and how comfortable the chair is and do I like that song and the lights are too low. Let's get back to what really matters in the house of God. Let's get serious about it. And maybe we'll see the move of God we all want to see. Maybe, just maybe, God will do what his words, there is a remnant rising up. There is a remnant. I'm passionate about this right now, man, because we are the very reason why we're seeing the mess that we're seeing. And we cannot be sitting on our hands waiting for somebody else to do it. Somebody told me, well, that might not grow a church. No, it will build a church. He didn't say, I will grow my church. He said, I will build my church. We don't need a mile wide and an inch deep. We need people that are serious about living the kingdom life. We need people that are serious about what Jesus commissioned the church to do. Not make converts, not just fill up a bunch of chairs. Make disciples, followers, pupils, learners of Jesus. Y'all with me? Look at this in the Passion Translation, the Passion Translation. Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, everyone say, but now. Man, I'm so thankful there's a but now. I'm so thankful it doesn't stop there. I'm so thankful we don't have to, have to die in our death and our separation any longer. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on that cross. It didn't just cover my sin. It removed it as far as the east is from the west. I don't even have to be identified with my past, with my failures, with my issues, with my struggles anymore. I have been made righteous in the sight of God. But now, but now, how much more? Are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life? Right now, right now I reign, right now I rule. I continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. This is the year of the reigning church. This is the year of the church that will reign victorious. This is the year that the church, the people of God, will take our rightful place of authority. Take our rightful place as sons and daughters of a king. Guess what? If you are a son and daughter of a king, guess what that makes you? Royalty. You are royalty. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you are royalty. Come on, that's the best thing you've heard all week. That's the best thing you've heard all week. You are royalty. You are royalty. You are greatness. God has destined you for something far greater than being dictated by the ways of this world. You're in charge. He put you there. Continue reigning as kings in life. Enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect Righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. He will build his church, he will build his church. world is waiting for us to take this place that I'm going to tell you about today the world is waiting Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he prays this prayer he says therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So these are believers, these are brethren. This is the church that he's praying for and that he's writing to. He says, after I heard of your faith and after I heard of your love for the saints, after I heard about your commitment to Christ, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What is he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Right there, that tells me there are some things that I need to know that will not be naturally discovered. Right there, he's letting me know. You are going to need a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You will not learn this by information. In fact, information... Without transformation brings deception. When we build up on information and we do not allow it to become revelation that in turn transforms our lives, we become deceived, the Bible says. We become deceived. Deceived into thinking that I got something that I didn't because I didn't allow it to change me. I'm going to tell you right now, information will not change you. You don't need information. We were not designed to live by information. He says here that we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says that we need the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance In the saints, I can't know what the hope of his calling is without the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I can't know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is without wisdom and revelation, spiritual wisdom and revelation, not man's fake wisdom that we're seeing today. Man has offered up so much in the name of wisdom and in the name of their reasoning I'm going to tell you, if, if your wisdom requires me to compromise my faith, I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of it. You can keep it. You can put it in your textbooks. and You can teach it in your schools. And you can profess to be wise. But at the end of the day, you are no wiser. You're no better. You're just informed. I need revelation by the Spirit of God. And I need wisdom, spirit of wisdom and revelation. These days require us, the church, to be moving and operating by a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And that only comes from being in tune and sensitive to the spirit of God. Only way. It's the only way. And what did I say? I started off, I told you. In these days, these last days, it's going to grow more and more difficult to walk by faith and to live led by the Spirit, to walk by faith and to be led by the Spirit. That's why we need the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says that we need the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and our understanding to be in light that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power comes to those who believe. If you don't believe, you won't experience the power of God. If we don't first qualify as believers, that means that we set our, our, our hearts to believe the word of God against all else. In the midst of all else, I believe, therefore, I will see the exceeding greatness of his power operate in my life according to the working of his mighty power. How mighty was that power? He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And watch this. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That power that worked when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That same power can work in your life. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Say that right now. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. You're going to have to remind yourself of that from time to time. You're going to have to confess that and speak that and declare that over your life from time to time. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, operates in me, works in me. That, those words according to, you see that repeated in Paul's writings. According to, that means to the same measure and to the same degree. (laughs) You didn't get, you didn't get like this subpar power. You didn't, there's, there's not like power that raised Christ from the dead and then power to those who believe. It's the same power. Say it, the same power, the same power. The same power that raised Christ, that's the power that works in my life. That's the the power that raises dead things in my life. That's the thing that causes life to show up in, in, in my mortal body. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same degree and the same measure as. Man, we need that power, don't we? What would would the world do with that kind of power? What would the world do if we showed up with that kind of power? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. is working in you. And he says that he worked this power when he raised him from the dead. And that's not over. It's not done there. It's not finished. He raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Now, why is this significant? What do those words mean? Maybe you've read them, heard them, had them preached to you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we just casually say, but what do those, why those words, Paul? What are you talking about? Why seated at the right hand? What does that even mean to be seated at the right hand? Well, we don't live in a kingdom. Right? We don't have kings that are the final say. We we get to vote on things, and we get to decide on things, and and we get to have a say-so in our country, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, a king has final say. A king has authority. In the kingdom of God, the king is in charge. There's no voting in a kingdom. The king isn't asking, what do we think? Let's take a poll. How many of you are for divine healing? How many of you are for the, the king puts sickness on you to teach you a lesson? Let, let's see where people are staying. Let's see what they can accept. Let's see what we, how we're going to operate for the next four years. That's not how God operates, God's word is final. God's word is finished. God's word is complete. And it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changing his mind. He hasn't decided, well, these people needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you guys, ah, forget it. You know, I mean, that talking in tongue stuff, it's weird, and nobody really gets it. And everybody's confused by it. And and so let's just get rid of it. You know, it's just causing more confusion than it is. God doesn't operate like we do. A throne is a position of authority. A throne is a position of authority. A throne in a kingdom is a position of final say. The buck stops here. That's the throne. And the one seated on the throne, he's in charge. And the one seated on the throne has the final say. And the one seated on the throne cannot be argued with Cannot be voted out, cannot be voted against, cannot be voted in. The one on the throne is the final authority. God's word is the final authority. God is king seated on the throne. He is in a position of final authority. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not. You know, I've, I've said that a lot. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Y'all heard that before? Well, guess what? Whether you believe it or not, it's settled. <laughs> whether you believe it or not, God said it, that settles it. Now, whether you believe it or not determines whether you see it in your life or not. Sure. I've got to, I've got to believe it. I've got to come into agreement. But at the end of the day, God's word is final. It doesn't change. And God is a final say being. God is a final say authority. And he's not consulting and he's not taking a poll and and, 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 and you know checking to see how everybody receives his word or not. His word's final. So what does this mean? To be seated at the right hand. Because the one seated on the throne. He's in in charge. He's the final say. He's the final authority. But it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Seated who? Jesus. At his. Who's his? God. Right hand. The reason why the right hand is so significant is because that is where the final authority extends his authority. The right hand. Paul didn't take a 50-50 and say, right, left, right, left, right, that sounds good. The right, the right hand. We'll go with the right hand. That sounds good. No, back then, whoever was in the position of the right hand was the one in, Executing the word of the king, of the final say. That was the one to which the final say would extend the ability and the power and the authority to. To the right hand. If you sat at the right hand. Y'all remember Joseph? Joseph was placed second man in charge. He was at the right hand of Pharaoh. And nobody was above Joseph except for Pharaoh himself. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. You have the position of authority, the position of the king, the the position of final say. His word is final, but now whoever is at his right hand is an extension of his authority. And no one is above the right hand except the king himself. So Jesus Being seated at the right hand of the Father is an extension of that final say, is an extension of that final authority. And so guess what? Whatever Jesus says, as long as it is an extension of the king, it is in line with what the king said, it has just as much weight, just as much power, just as much authority, just as much control as if God himself said it. Does this make sense? And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Now Jesus is not in charge of God. And Jesus cannot make a decision or make a decree or declare something that is not in alignment with what God said. But being at the right hand puts Jesus in a position of authority that if he agrees and says and declares and believes what the king has said, it's as if he were king himself. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. It goes on to describe this right hand of the Father, the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Verse 21 says, this right hand, this seated position at the right hand of the Father, it is far above all, everyone say all, all principality, all power, all might, and all dominion. It is far above every name that is named. If you can name it, he's over it. If you can name it, catching names, because you're just giving me something that his name is higher than. We just spoke. And when you name it, that's the first thing I'll tell you. If they're having symptoms in their body, go to the doctor, find out what's going on. Let's get a name on it so we can declare the name that's above every name. Find out what it is. What they tell me doesn't change the position. It doesn't put me in fear. Now I know what I'm naming. Now I know what I'm speaking over. Now I know what I'm declaring. Now I know what I'm seated at the name. Because we have the name that's above every name. And he is seated at the right hand. And the right hand is far above. The pality power goes on. You're thinking, man, we've just about covered it. Principality power. Might and dominion, right? Every name that is named, right? You think we got, what else is there to cover? Look what he goes on to say. Not only in this age, at the time of this right come. So you might say, well, Paul didn't know about cancer. And Paul didn't know about COVID-19. It's a name to the Father. It's new. We don't know. Guess what? His seated position at the right hand of the Father is above it. It's over it. Far above. It doesn't we may not even know what we fully reign and rule over, but we will find out as it shows up. Go ahead something. We still reign over it. Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come, in the times, in the future, he's covered it all. He's covered it all. And he's seated, sitting down on a throne at the right hand of the one who has the final say. The right hand of the one. See, the right hand is, but we are seated at the right hand of the father, which means we speak what the king speaks at his authority. The earth has to respond. The earth doesn't have to respond to you if you're not submitted to his authority. The earth doesn't have to respond to you. See, it's amazing how we will put ourselves under bondage of things in the world and then be surprised when it won't respond to us anymore. We're addicted to things and then we wonder why when I speak, You do it, and then nicotine talks to you and says, smoke this and dip this, and you do it, and then you wonder why your finances won't listen to your words when you speak the word of God over it. Because you're not submitted to the king, you're submitted to stuff. You're submitted to the world that ought to be submitting to you. Come on. To the one that's... No? You've got to be submitted to the one that's... In the throne, on the throne, he tells me to, to say, right hand of the Father. What did Jesus say? Whatever he tells me to, to say, I say it. Whatever he tells me to do, I do it. Wherever he tells me to, what's he saying? I'm submitted to the one on the throne, so that way as I'm seated at the right hand of the throne, my authority works too. The first priority is not giving orders, but taking a centurion, a man that was in charge of many soldiers, a legion of soldiers. And this man, only this man, only, the only man that approached Jesus and said, and he didn't say, there's something different about you. And he didn't say, I recognize you as a man in authority. If you go back and look in Matthew chapter 8, he said, you are a man under authority having authority over those under you. He recognized chain of command. Only the Roman centurion identified this. And he said, I have a servant back home. He's not here with me now. And he's dying. He's at the point of death. And Jesus said, well, let's go. I'll come, I'll heal him, I'll lay hands on him. I'll come to your house. And what did that Roman centurion say? No, you don't have to. Speak the word only. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Why? Why? And you know what Jesus said about that man? Not, not even a believer. Not even a part of God's remnant. A uh, Roman centurion probably later on uh, played a part in, in, in crucifying Jesus. He said, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Hi, this is the greatest display of faith I've ever seen. And he called it out. Why? Because he believed in the kingdom principle that as long as I'm submitted to my king, then my authority will work. Jesus knew he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus knew he had authority. There's not one thing he didn't or couldn't exercise authority over. Not one thing. He exercised authority over water, turning it into wine. He exercised authority over water, walking on top of it. He exercised authority over storms, saying, peace, be still, and they were still. He exercised authority over sickness and disease, every sickness and every disease. It didn't matter who it was, where it was, how new it was, how dangerous it was. He exercised authority over it. He exercised authority over death itself. He raised several people from the dead. One of them four days after he had been dead. Not even immediately. Four days later, already in the tomb. Already, we've already had the gravesite. We've already had the burial. We've already had the funeral. We've already said our goodbyes. We've already come to closure. Four days later, brings that man out. Don't have Jesus over to your funeral because he'll ruin it. He did that for a lady. They, it was literally a funeral procession. And he raised up the young man right out of the casket. He exercised authority over demons. They came running to him. So please, please. They called him Lord. He exercised authority over death in his own body by being raised again after three days. Not one thing Jesus did not exercise authority over. And you know why? Because he knew he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was the image and Jesus was the picture of what it means to meet chaos head on. Do we really think that this stuff that's happening in our world today is blowing Jesus's mind. Do we? Do you? Do you picture a God with His hands in the air, shrugging His shoulders? Do you think we finally have 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 met something so great that God is like, I don't got an answer for that one. Has man finally reached so much turmoil and tragedy and confusion and chaos? Now, in fact, Jesus himself said, there will be trials and tribulations. He said, darkness, it's coming. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He even put it in past tense for us. So if you were confused about when he did it, he's already done it. I have overcome the world. It's already done. It's a done deal. I told you last week, this year, we're jumping to conclusions. We're jumping to the conclusion of this thing, amen? December 31st, will look as good as you want it to be or as bad as you let it be. That's up to you. But we're going to be people that live and walk by faith, and we're not going to allow the things of the world and the ways of the world and the issues. Look, we ain't got but seven days, and you've had to jump to some conclusions, Right? You, you already had opportunity the last seven days to come to a different conclusion than what the Bible says, than what God has spoken to you on January 1st. And, and, and you're looking around saying, well, oh, I thought this was going to be the year of blessing, but it looks like 2021 drug 2020 right, right into it and said, I need you. It's like they passed the baton to each other and said, pick up where I left off. So you're going to jump to conclusions this year. Because we're going to believe the word of God over circumstances and over situations and over issues. Because God is seated on the throne and Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. There's no closure to this thing. There's no end. There's no expiration date. It's that's where he's sitting. That's where he's seated and he's not moving. Verse 22 goes on to say, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. He put all things under his feet. Everyone say feet. And he gave him to be head. Everyone say head. So we just covered the whole body right there. Right? Right? Y'all better follow this. You know, when Matthew chapter 13, when it says the sower sows the word and the birds come immediately and pick up the word that falls on the wayside. And then he goes on later to clarify that. And he said, the enemy comes immediately to snatch up the word of the kingdom that is sown. If you let this fall by the wayside, it will get snatched up. Telling you right now what I'm about to say. The enemy is watching over it right now in your life, right where you're at. And if you let it fall by the wayside, he will pick it up. Right now, every single one of you. Every weekend he does this. Every weekend he goes to church services to hear what's being ministered. Unfortunately, a lot of them are no threat to him. But when he hears one that's a threat to him and to his kingdom, he's waiting and watching. Will you let that seed go in the ground? Will you receive it with joy immediately and then meditate on it and water it throughout the week and throughout your life? And will you pull that that seed up when you need it? draw and demand on that word when you need it? Will you let the cares and the riches of life come and choke it out? Or will you not allow the root to grow deep enough? You'll pluck it up too soon? Or will you be the one that will allow the word to go deep down into the soil so that you can produce from it? But this word right here, yeah, he'll snatch this one up quick. He doesn't want you hearing what I'm hearing. And let me also say this. I'll just go ahead and give you, um, uh, uh, I'll go ahead and let you know ahead of time that what I'm about to say will bring attack. So if you don't want attack, you can dismiss yourself now. (laughs) I say that jokingly, but unfortunately it's true. It comes, it, it comes. But these two verses, he put all things under his feet and gave him, capital H, Jesus to be head over all things to the church. To the church, to the church. Is everyone seeing that? The church. Verse 23, which is his body? Which is his body? He put all things under his feet, verse 22. So we have feet. We have the, as as low as you can get in the body. Feet. And gave him to be head. Over all things to the church. So he's head of what? The church. Which is His body, and he even goes on to qualify this and define this, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness, fullness means completeness, meaning if you don't have all the parts, you're incomplete. If you don't have all the parts, you're incomplete. Fullness means, very simply, the completeness. Total, totality. Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. It's you and I. And he even identifies that the seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, not only in this age, but that which is to come in every name that is named. That is including the feet. Are y'all with me? Feet are a part of a body. Am am I right? Did I get that right? A and P? Anatomy and physiology? The feet are a part of the body. They are a crucial part of the body. So from the head to the feet, from the head to the feet, that's the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and you and I are the body. Why is this so important, Pastor Mark? Because maybe up until now, you had no problem accepting that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Maybe up until now, you've had no problem accepting that Jesus is above every principality, power, might, and dominion. Maybe up until now, you've had no problem believing along with me that Jesus is above every name that is named. Right? Maybe up until now, you've had no problem believing that Jesus is above every might and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And man, on that point, right there alone, we could worship, we could praise, we could dance, we could shout, and we could go out of here just praising God that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is above all principality, power, might, and dominion, that Jesus is above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which to come. We could all shout on that point and have a good old time and go to the restaurant and have a great day and go about our lives, but there is more he's not done yet he's not done yet because he says that he put all things under his feet and then he gave him to be head over all things to the church not a building, not an event, it's a people it's an entity and the church is his body so that means everything that we just said about Jesus we can apply to the church Everything I just said about Jesus, everything Paul just wrote about Jesus, about this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, everything I just said, this sums up that you can apply it to you too. If you are the church of the living God, if you are the body of Christ, guess what? If it's under his feet, it's under Your feet. If if he is above every principality, power, might, and dominion, you're above every principality, power, might, and dominion. If he's above every name that is named, guess what? You are above every name that is named. And the enemy is snatching away. Right now. He's coming. He's watching over that oh, Pastor Mark, that, that that sounds arrogant and prideful to me. You mean to say that I'm just like Jesus? Uh, you, you, you mean to say that I can apply what has been applied to Jesus to my life? Are you saying that I'm just as good as Jesus? Yeah, the enemy is plucking and snatching right now and he's he's putting things in your brain, or there's religious mindsets or religious blockages right now that are hindering and limiting, I just read to you the word of God. I did not read to you my definition. I didn't read to you my idea. I know we live in a day of opinions and ideas, and and we want to exalt what we believe, but let's just for a moment, let's even pretend as if the Bible were true. What if we accepted the word for what it says and we quit arguing with what God has put and we just said, well, if you said it, I believe it, that settles it, I will live it. There's no, there's no bondage greater than the one that won't allow you to receive truth when it's delivered to you. But it's the truth that will set you free. It's amazing why we as believers wouldn't want to believe this. Why I would reject and refuse to believe that I too am seated at the right hand of the Father. That I too have been given authority and that the same power that worked in Christ dwells and resides and lives and works in me. Why would I reject that? Why would I refuse that? Even if you're the foot in the body of Christ, you're above it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We concluded one chapter, starting another one, but he hasn't finished. He's not done yet. Look at your neighbor and say, he's not done yet. Verse 1, some of y'all said, he's not done yet. Some of you said, he's not done yet. There's more. There's more to the story. And you, he made alive. Who were dead. I love the contrast he brings. I love the contrast. By one man's offense, death reigned. But by one man's obedience, Jesus's, we now reign as kings in this life. And you whom he made alive, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He doesn't deny He doesn't deny the authority that the devil has, the power the devil has, the the, the position that the devil, he doesn't deny it. He identifies he's a prince of the power of the air. He has principalities and mights and dominions and strongholds. But we are called to break down strongholds. There's no stronghold greater than the strength of our God. It cannot stand. He said the gates of hell will not prevail. He doesn't deny that there are gates. He just says they aren't strong enough. He says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He doesn't deny that the weapon won't be formed. He just says it won't prosper. And once in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Who does he work in? Those that don't obey, those that don't apply, those that are unrighteous, those that are out of position, those that are separated and out of alignment with God. But that's not us. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which... Why did he put you in this position? Because he loves you. Why did he place you in a position of authority? Because he cares for you. Because he's had mercy on you. Because he's extended to you what you did not deserve. And the grace of God has shown up in your life. And God said, I want you to rule and reign with me. And I want you to determine what happens in that realm. And I'm doing it through my, it would have been enough. to just put Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And forget the church. Forget the people of God. Let them just believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again so that one day when they do separate from their earthly vessel, they can come up here and they can come and live and dwell with me happily ever after the end. He could have done that. And he said, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. It's not a good enough just to redeem them from sin. I have to restore them back to the position they once were. Isn't that what restore means? If my Bible is sitting on this podium and it falls to the stage. And I pick it up, and I place it on this speaker. Have I restored my Bible? No. I have to put it back where it was. We teach our kids all the time. Put it back where you found it. And you know what God does? He restores things. He puts it back the way he found it. He puts it back where it belongs. And so Adam and Eve were not walking on this earth, roaming around saying, when are we going to go to heaven? When is Jesus going to come and take us all home in the big glory cloud? Were they? If Adam and Eve had never sinned, where would they be today? In the garden pending God's business. They weren't roaming around looking for heaven. They were bringing heaven to earth. And they fell. They fell. They didn't fall from Christianity. They weren't Christians. They didn't fall from religion. There was no religion. That's all man-made stuff. They didn't fall from Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or Episcopal. That's all denominations. That's all man-made stuff. They fell from a kingdom. They didn't even fall from heaven. They weren't in heaven. So if God goes to restore man and puts him in heaven, he'd be breaking his own rule. He said, if I'm going to restore them, I'm going to have to put them right back where I found them in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And you will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all the cattle that creeps on the earth and over all the earth. And so God created man in his own image. Man and woman, he created them both. And he told them to subdue the earth, have dominion over all the earth. And so if he's gonna restore you, guess where he's gotta put you? timer's going off 12 o'clock y'all right on the dot y'all y'all don't play man y'all got it down to the I mean it literally just turned 12 as that thing went off yeah mine didn't go off so we're gonna keep going because you need to know you have authority you need to know you've been restored you need to know you're in charge You need to know your God is in control, but he's also placed you in this earth to dictate and to determine and to use your mouth and use your authority to to, to bring heaven to earth. You've been restored. He didn't put you here. He puts you right back here. Why? What does it say in verse 4? But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together. Everyone say together. Together. With Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together everyone say together, together. and made us sit together everyone say together 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 in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, in the ones we haven't even seen yet, in the time we haven't even lived yet, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is on a throne. Jesus is seated at his right hand, but that's not enough. That's not good enough. You are the church of the living God. You are the body of Christ. You are the hands and the feet, and Jesus is the head of the church, but he has placed you together with him, alive with him, seated with him in heavenly places. Real quick, I want to give you five things that seated, that a seated life gives you. A seated life. Living seated with Christ. Living seated with Christ. This is the year we are seated with Christ. This is the year we reign with Christ. Number one, it puts you in close proximity to the Father. Number one, it puts you in close, pr- when you are seated with Christ, you're at the right hand, you are not distance from God. You are not far away. I know times like this make it seem like God is, you are right there next. He is with you lockstep. He is right there and you need to be more in tune to how close you are to the Father this year than ever before. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places, at the right hand of the Father. You are not far. You can know the will of God this year. You can know the purpose of God this year. You can know the plan of God this year. You can feel the presence of God this year. Do not let the darkness of the world separate you from the presence of God this year. When you are seated with Christ, when you are seated at the right hand of the Father, you are in close proximity to the Father. Number two, you are in a position of authority. You're in charge. You're in control. You're, you're in control. He's giving you the authority. Tell sickness where to go. Tell anxiety it does not cannot reside in your mind any longer. Tell lack to go in Jesus' name. Speak it with your mouth. In your tongue, it's life and death. You have authority. Matthew chapter 16, just write it down. Matthew chapter 16, 18 and 19, he says, but you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He goes on to say that you, the church, the church of the living God, the body of Christ, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. This is the very first time Jesus ever mentions the church. And the first time he speaks of the church, he's talking about authority. He's talking about binding and loosing He's talking about tying things up and setting things free. And we're just whimsically going with the cares of the world. We have no business responding to issues the way the world responds to issues. Can I go a step further? We have no business consulting the word, uh, consulting the world. Only a church that doesn't know who they are would dare to consult the world on what to do. I don't consult the media. I don't consult the department of health. You know, God's got a department of health. It's called by his stripes, you were healed. Past tense. I don't consult governments. I don't consult officials. I don't consult mayors, governors, or presidents. I respect them. I honor them. But I will not consult you above the word of God. The word of God is my first place. I wonder how many people through all this mess have even dared to stop and say, Holy Spirit, what should I do? Holy Spirit? what should I do about this situation? How should I respond before I leave that comment? Before I post that, tweet that, share that, like that. Holy Spirit, how should I respond to these symptoms in my body? The day we're walking in, it will grow increasingly more and more difficult but walk by faith and be led by the spirit. I do not consult the world. They should be consulting us. The world should be coming to the church. What do we do about this virus? The world should be coming to the church. What do we do about these racial issues? These tensions, these injustices, does it not bother you that they're not even asking you? That they don't even care what you think? They don't even care that you might possibly have a solution? That's a problem. Not when we're the ones that supposed to be binding and loosing. Not when we're the ones that the gates of hell can't prevail against. The gates of hell are prevailing against the world's solutions. They win every time. The world is not tearing down the gates of hell. If anything, they're refabricating it and restructuring it. We're the ones tearing down the gates of hell. This is a position of authority. Number three, we are above being seated with Christ, living the seated life. You are above the things of the world, not beneath them. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are above. They are far above, he says. He, he defines above. Far above. Not just nipping at your heels like, it's almost got me. Almost. almost, almost the devil almost got me. No, I'm far above. We need some far above people. Not some every now and then above. Not the roller coaster, I'm above, now I'm beneath. Now I'm above, now I'm beneath. No, we are above, far above the things of the world. Sin, The cares of the world, the riches of the world, the distractions of the world, the solutions of the world were far above it. Far above the things of the world. Number four, you see things from a different perspective. When you live the seated life, you see things from a different perspective. Just write it down, Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three seek those things that are above. Seek those things that are above, not on the earth below. No, I seek heaven's agenda. I seek the kingdom's purpose. I seek the plan of God. I seek what he says. I seek what he's doing. I'm I'm going after. I'm diligently running after what is God doing. It changes our perspective. Look at Colossians chapter three. um, I think I've got it in there, in the message. Colossians three, verses one through three in the message. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Is this not a word for today? Is this not a word for the church right now? He says, look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. When you are seated with Christ, you see things the way Jesus sees them. When you are seated with Christ, you see things through the lens of Jesus. You don't just see a sinner. You see a sin that is broken and and causing them to decay and is separating them from life. And you address it in love. When you see sickness and disease, you don't see something to run away from. You see something to rebuke and curse off of somebody's life. We see people as Jesus sees them. We see situations as Jesus sees it. We respond the way Jesus would respond. You see things from a different perspective. You see things from a heavenly perspective, from a right hand of the Father perspective. You don't see something different. You see something differently. I see the same issues y'all see. I hear the same mess that y'all hear. I respond differently. Jesus, how do you respond? I'm seated with him. Seated with him. See things from his perspective. Number five. You see things from a different perspective. You see as Jesus sees. But number five, probably my favorite one, Now I'm seen as Jesus. Worship team, if you'd come. Now I'm seen as Jesus. What's that mean? That means my identity is in Christ. It's in him. Paul, throughout his gospels, used terms like in him, in whom, in Christ. Why? Why? because he was trying to shape your identity. He's trying to shape how you see yourself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Oh man, make that your confession this year. As he is, so am I. As he is, so am I in this world. As he is, so am I. God doesn't see Jesus or God doesn't see you. He now sees Jesus. You are in him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 tells us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's your new identity. When you are seated with Christ, you are seen as Christ. God doesn't see any differentiation between you and his son. Again, another truth that a watered-down gospel has made hard for people to swallow but a watered-down gospel is compromised truth It's compromised the reality of God's word and I tell you you are seen as Jesus by God he sees you with the same authority He sees you with the same level of righteousness. You're made in His image. You're made in His likeness. And now you're seated with Him. Your identity is not your past anymore. Your identity is not your activity. It's not what you do. What you do doesn't define who you are. Who you are defines what you do.